Hi, with Julian on the brown note and the first recordings either on the political channel or on this channel of the year 2023. <clears throat> I didn't do anything over Christmas recording wise and I haven't been near the political stuff at all. Um, but I've got three massive films from last year that I never reviewed. So I've got the thickin' Banshees of Inisherin and uh, Glass Onion and Blonde. I finally got the courage to watch Blonde. It's taken me months. I, I like torturous films. I watched Come and See and Silo out of choice. But the thing is, I can watch something like uh, Requiem for a Dream over and over because it's such a good film that once I know what's happening, it's not that terrifying. But the first time around, I think the problem I had with Blonde is that it got such bad reviews uh, that three hours of watching Anna de Armas be psychologically and physically tortured in a film that wasn't that great uh, didn't exactly do it for me. But this is Andrew Dominic, and Andrew Dominic is a guy that takes his time making films. And he has done so with some acclaim so far. I mean, Chopper was the first film that he actually came to any sort of prominence with in the year 2000. Since then, he's directed three films. This is a hit director. Out of nowhere. <coughs> um... Australian, well, he's actually born in uh, Wellington, New Zealand, but ostensibly an Australian director who's directed four films in 22 years. Uh, he doesn't miss about. The only problem is, is that I think the one, the, I think the first two, Chopper, outstanding, hit every nail on the head that he would have needed to, maybe by accident, but it worked wonderfully and made the career of Eric Banner. And the second film, seven years later, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward, Robert Ford is now very well established as a classic movie. Um, uh, one of the great existential westerns. A masterpiece of the film, arguably Brad Pitt's Finest Hour, or three, arguably Casey Affleck's, who got nominated for an Oscar for that film. A terrific modern revisionist western. Um, definitely... I would say the greatest Western post Clint East was Unforgiven. So it's in high esteem. Amazing film. And then he took a he came back five years later with Killing Him Softly again with Brad Pitt. It was perfectly okay, but it wasn't great. I would watch it now. Uh, it was just missing lots of elements and it could have been directed by any one of the lesser talented post Tarantino crowd not someone that made the assassination of Jesse James, I don't think. And then we've got nearly a 10-year gap with Blonde, a Marilyn Monroe biopic that's a fantasy biopic. So it uses her character and life, but makes up the story, which itself is an interesting paradigm because we've got the weird Al Yankovic doc biography at the moment which is also a different kind of fantastical biography mm -hmm. fictional biography thank you um it's got a lot of it's based on a novel by um joyce carol oates 
um, who came up with this concept of, you know, Marilyn is one of the most... It's interesting that Marilyn Monroe and Elvis Presley both had their most two prominent movies released within months last year. Um, two icons that are so overplayed that it's very difficult to get any purchase on them that would warrant any interest. And um, Elvis was my fifth favourite film of last year and I cannot stand Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> I was amazed. I thought it was pure artistry and he, ch he chose the right time to make an Elvis picture because Elvis is one of the most famous people to have fallen away from public conversation the most. He occupies this sort of dim silhouette, like a, one of the elder gods. He's not something that people listen to or bring up much, and yet he is still in the iconography of Western culture from the last century. And in a way, Marilyn Monroe's the same. Her movies don't come up. Like Elvis fell out of favour with music fans a lot because of the Beatles changing what a musician was from a star fronting a record to a group of friends writing songs themselves and playing them themselves across an album and Elvis didn't have any albums he had 10 albums a year of him on the surfboard on the cover so he'd fallen away but Marilyn as well it hasn't the the one true absolute classic film that always comes up is some like it hot so She's in this hinterland as well because Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is not going to come up in you know modern film appreciation that much. She was very much a star from a bygone era, but like all of these people, we feel we know them so much that it becomes hard to tell a story about them that isn't the one that we've already heard. <coughs> I'm going to come right out and say that this is a story that we've already heard in many ways. Um, this is a story that functions to me as someone who isn't a massive Marilyn Monroe obsessive that knows everything about her. This actually functions as a biopic, not a fantastical biopic. In fact, I would go as far as to say it is closer to what actually happened than isn't. So um, the casting of Anna de Armas, who is a goddess, was, it was genius. Um, it's very difficult when you've got people like the casting of Elvis was genius he doesn't even look 100% like Elvis but we felt like he was Elvis it's a it's gonna be nominated for an Oscar this film has got track uh, blonde's got trash enough that it Anna might not um, but she should certainly get nominated for an Oscar but choosing someone who has is different to Marilyn Monroe when we were all, already waiting to hear that squeaky Betty Boop voice um, I thought it was really good I thought that was really refreshing I've loved her in everything she's been in so far and I'm going to be reviewing the sequel to Nice Out very shortly um, the way it's shot is very interesting and it doesn't hem towards the same aspect ratio or colour palette throughout the whole film it changes a lot from quite austere black and white and um, quite harsh framing into much more sort of technicolor. The, um, the filmmaking of those moments is absolutely masterpiece. It's fantastic, uh, including the famous sex scene where it ends up in a, a big waterfall. It's, it's quite incredible. But when this film 
is close to being a masterpiece. It's much closer to being a masterpiece when people aren't talking. Um, the number one problem I have with this film is undoubtedly bad writing. And that isn't surmountable. Um, the, I think if there's one thing that comes out of this is that a lot of times filmmakers stick with a project because it it's like you know you had a great idea 10 years ago and it was a great idea but you've just held on to it until the point where you don't really have a purpose for it anymore and Dominic's been making this for 10 years more than 10 years lots of other actresses were um, associated with it and I feel like the idea just with the, as with the Elvis one, the idea of making a Marilyn Monroe biopic now in the post-Me Too movement was superb. Except this could have been made at any time before the Me Too movement. I don't feel like it's informed enough by the last 10 years. I wonder if he was searching for reasons to make it or whether his vision was manipulated along the years by uh, the needs of financing a film like this. Um, everyone, all the critics are saying about how he's, this is definitely the film that he wanted to make and he should, you know, he should be judged on it. But so much of what happens in it is just following the verbatim story arc of Marilyn Monroe's actual life. And I felt like the high points of this film were when it broke away and went into, you know, these really sort of textural and ambient and abstract art worlds, often not involving dialogue. That's where I thought it shone. And I wonder how much of what is here uh, is actually what he intended. Because I felt like a lot of the conversational dialogue and the, the way that that moved the plot along and the situations that were chosen were not strong or were, were probably the weakest parts of the film. I love the opening though. I thought that performance from the um, woman who played the mother was fantastic. Um, Julianne Nicholson, she was great as a mother at the start and just terrifying like wide-eyed girl going through this mental trauma i feel like mental trauma was on the back burner here a lot these are the two like the two biggest problems i have with the right the writing here um apart from her not having enough agency um we know that she was ripped off by hollywood as everyone is we still hear those stories about people now but she did make independent films in the middle of the 50s so like bus stop and she set up her own um independent way of making films outside the, the studio system so she wasn't without agency and i don't think that people get to be as famous as marilyn Monroe without being extremely driven and i don't i like every time they're presented to us it's like they never intended to be famous when these people probably tried harder to be famous than anyone on earth. And throughout this film, we get this notion that she floats from one situation to another, being abused usually, without any agency. And I didn't buy that. And I don't buy it about people. You know, everyone says like people like from Michael Jackson to Eddie Vedder are incredibly ambitious and force it. And that's how they get there. It's not that 
they're the gods appointing down and elevate that person. They really want people like Taylor Swift really tried hard to become incredibly famous. I have no doubt that Marilyn Monroe did. Certainly more than the um, complete lack of agency she's given in this film as though she has no control over anything in her destiny, which I didn't buy. But the two biggest writing mistakes I found in this film were number one, daddy issues. They make the film about daddy issues so much and that is such a trite thing to hang this film on. It's like, well, we know that her mum was probably schizophrenic and hospitalised for most of her life and that daddy was never there um, and she had a picture on his wall of someone alleged to be her father. So the whole film makes up this daddy issue that lasts the entirety of the three hours of this film and daddy issues are not that interesting. Um, it, it permeates her relationships with men throughout the film and I really struggled with her calling her lover's daddy. It, even if that was true in real life, I would have left it out because it was painful, it was trite and it was embarrassing. She's calling Joe DiMaggio and asking me, daddy. And I was just like, hey, it's too much. I didn't like that angle and I didn't like the abortion angle. So it's made out that she was um, either forced or more likely chose to have an abortion to uh, keep making movies and save her career. But it keeps coming up through the film that there's this dead fetus talking to her and that was one of her motivations. And I just didn't, it was too overdone. Um, like the whole th the first abortion scene and I'm glad they rescinded that where she's sort of being dragged into having an abortion legs akimbo screaming and all of that uh, you know when I saw that I was like dear oh dear but they do rescind that and kind of make out like she was an unreliable narrator which I thought this could have done a lot more with that unreliable narrator it was made for an unreliable narrator um, so those two really stuck out that it comes up multiple times and in the end you've got the <laughs> Peter's talking to her and I was just like really and the other one was calling everyone daddy um, and the daddy issues playing out through the whole film so I feel like he didn't have much to say about her I feel like there's so much more that's of interest in her than her mum's mental health problems her daddy issues because she never had a daddy and the fact that she um, was pressured into having an abortion or not, but had one. Um, I just thought that that's the kind of stuff you get on the back of a box of cookies about Marilyn Monroe. It was adult ones, but those are like the main, most mainstream things that people know about her. I didn't feel like it was, I feel like in an era where we completely reframed the treatment of women in a professional environment, uh, and our acknowledgement of abuse and mental health has risen so much over the last 15 years. It didn't have enough to say about those things. And it was an open book to have a go at those things. He had three hours to do anything he wanted. And an hour and a half of that was talk about daddy issues and abortion in a manner that is probably quite common to a lot of other stories, older stories. This could have been made at any point in the last 30 years. So it is a letdown for me, and the writing is very reductive. It does function as a normal bio biopic, and I wish he'd gone even more out of house and just said sod it. I really feel like he had everyone saying he had 
the film that he wanted, he made it. But I feel like there was a film that he compromised on here by including a lot of um, dull, repetitive, abusive interactions with other people in Hollywood, all the way up to JFK. I didn't really like her two friends, Charles Chaplin's son and another famous actor's son. I didn't really see what they brought to the party, to be honest, that was interesting. Um, it did at times feel like Anna de Armas was being um, abused for our... This is what he could have done, and this is where he could have made a masterpiece. He could have made me feel like shit all the way through for participating, for enjoying her nudity, for even if she's crying. For making the viewer suffer. That would have been an art house masterpiece. And that's not what I felt. I felt like you're just kicking the boot in and I'm not on board because I'm not really rating this as a great film. And I'm not really feeling it. I'm not enjoying her being continually tortured like this um, on any level. So it's not really working to make me part of the system that crashed her which would have been a great film. Um, I think it's wayward, really wayward on the writing. So other than the, um, like, Anna de Armas is just completely radiant. <coughs> the moments where she's reliving shot, famous shots of Marilyn Monroe and they come alive, it's the high point of the film. She's amazing. I think she's a fantastic actress and insanely gorgeous. And this is obviously her role of a lifetime, which she spent a long time getting to as well. Um, and she's it's brilliant. The casting is the best thing about it. But the music and the cinematography is also excellent. Uh, it's Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. Can't go wrong with that, can you? Uh, who did, I think, did the, um, the Jesse James film as well, but have probably made every film that uh, Andrew Dominic's made. And the um, cinematography by uh, Chase Irvin, or Chase Irvin, is absolutely gorgeous when it's allowed to be in those moments where she's in a photo that you've seen a million times but she's alive and she's moving and she's just got such a great twinkle Anna de Armas has got such an amazing twinkle in her eyes and smile that she pulls off pretending to be Marilyn which I thought was fantastic um, the other characters in it were okay Adrian Brody was alright as Arthur Miller I really like I really like the actor Bobba, uh, Bobby Cannavale in everything I've seen him in and he's always used <laughs> sparingly and we never get him in the lead role so i thought that was all kind of um they were well played but really all the characters are surface level noise um there's not much depth to them and i don't know that much about marilyn monroe but i did know everything i saw in this film which made me think that maybe it's not anything uh, shattering so how i've been talking for ages just because i haven't done any reviews for ages well, they're long films to talk about. So, um, Blonde is a misfire. Um, it is worth watching. No, it is going to punish you for three hours, and it was quite hard to get through, and I didn't get enough out of it. So, <clears throat> I'm going to say not really, um, unfortunately. So, you get, you know, 40 minutes of stunning cinema and probably an hour, hour and a half of... Mm, a little bit painful uh, to get through. I'm going to give it a five and a half out of ten for Blonde, uh, which pushes it just over into the yes column. But that's the caveat is that 
it's really hard earned to get to that 5.5 out of 10. So if you want to do that to yourself, that's up to you. Uh, it was a few goes <laughs> for me. Um, and I can't say that I'd necessarily be going back to it. The, and the abuse was pretty toxic. Um, not as explicit as you may think it is always. Um, but it is, it is just relentless. And I felt like it could have made a film like that if there was a point to it. But the point to it was is that Hollywood used her and spat her out and that's not bringing anything new to the table at all. So yeah, five and a half out of 10 for Blonde.